With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. The long national nightmare is over for many of you. College football season is back on the menu. Of course, there was a game on Saturday. You know, before we talk a little bit about Iowa and, and Miami and then sort of give a final I guess this will be the final update of your uh, your talent rankings for Power 5 schools. And then, obviously, starting next week, we'll talk about Iowa's games and preview the opponents in more in-depth. Um, what did you what did you think about Florida Gators, Miami Hurricanes? You think that was uh, the 10th best team in the country that you watched in the Gators? Well, I don't know, because they're the only team we've watched other than Arizona-Hawaii. I, I think that um, – it's a it's an opening week game at a site neither school is familiar with on a regular basis. A lot of those are young kids that um, played against against each other in high school. High emotions, a lot of egos, a lot of smack talk. Um, uh, you've got a veteran head coach versus a rookie head coach. You know Miami's offensive. They started a true freshman and a redshirt freshman as their offensive tackles with a redshirt freshman quarterback. So I, I don't know how much you can take away from that one way or the other. Um, you know, if I'm Miami, I'm, I'm pretty happy that with all of that, uh, you know, acrimony of the offseason and all the distractions and everything else, we were right there with a chance to win the ball or win the game with the ball in our hands at the end, even though going into that final drive, we had given up 184 negative yards in sacks and penalties combined which that should like never happen. On the other hand, if you're Florida, you got to be happy that you were, I think, minus two or minus three in turnovers and you held on to win that game. Um, if, I don't know if, if there's a big takeaway going forward. Miami's schedule gets a lot softer from here. Florida's gets tougher uh, when we get from here. And if, if I had a big takeaway, if I was Miami, I'd – I'd be happy with the way Jaron Williams played and that he never really lost his composure despite the constant pressure he was under. You didn't see him blow up at his offensive lineman. You saw him keep his cool. Uh, he's likely never going to play in a tougher circumstance the rest of his career, no matter who the opponent is than that. Where, you know, they got, that, they got 10 sacks, but that's just the times that – those are just the times Florida got home. If you watch that game, that's not even counting all the pressure and everything they put on him. So if you're Miami, your big takeaway is I think we got to, you know, we've been searching for a quarterback. That's kind of been our offseason storyline basically since Ken Dorsey left, and that was almost 20 years ago. So maybe we found a guy. Maybe we found a guy that can stand up to the pressure uh, and, and that goes with the position uh, and, and playing the position at, you know, what used to be QBU. If you're Florida, your big takeaway is you, I think you saw Felipe Franks regress. Statistically, he was fine. But he made a couple of just boneheaded plays. The emotion was way over the top. And it was a lot of the kind of stuff that used to get him in trouble and got him benched last year. And then uh, Dan Mullen put him back in after he got benched and he, you know, got the message and 
played tremendous down the stretch, including against my Wolverines. And I think you could tell by Kirk, from, from Kirk Herbstreet's uh, just uh, increasing level of disdain for Felipe Frank's act as the game went on. And, you know, you and I have been following his career from the, since he debuted, you know, 22 years ago. It's not like Kirk to single guys out or anything like that. Right. It was pretty clear he just wasn't having it, the act, whatever that was, uh, that Felipe Franks had. And so if you're Florida, you know, you're hoping that that was a one-game situation, emotional game against Miami with the swag and the chains and all that kind of stuff, and that you get back uh, his equilibrium a little bit because the schedule that awaits you in the SEC, he's not, you're not going to survive that with a quarterback playing that high-strung like that. All right. Um, let's uh, – Iowa plays against Miami. with a 21-and-a-half point home favorites? 20, 21-and-a-half, somewhere in that range. The game is a night game in Kinnick Stadium. This is a team last year, 6-and-6, six six, lost a lot of close games, lost the heart and soul uh, of their defense. <sighs> Iowa in week one hasn't always been a uh, house of fire. I just have a hard time believing that Iowa would be on upset alert in this game. And Iowa doesn't play Iowa State until game three. Do you think that Iowa comes out in this game and just kind of, you know, works on the bread and butter that's going to be the bread and butter a lot during the course of the year and bread and butter that everybody knows Iowa is going to run? I hate to sit here and say maybe Iowa doesn't want to show a lot because that just sounds – you know, that's just an old trope sometimes. Maybe it's maybe it's legit. I don't know. But I don't know that I would expect a lot of wrinkles to come out in this game. And Iowa can probably get it done just with their uh, ham and eggs. Yeah, that's a, that's a tired fan trope. Um, uh, we, if, you know, there's, a, there's some constant fan tropes that are consistent in college football. If your team won their bowl game, then they're young and everybody's coming back next year. That's automatic. I mean, you could have won your bowl game starting 19 seniors and you're young and everybody's coming back next year. Um, if, you, uh, if, if the veteran guy got hurt or graduated or left early for the NFL, the next guy is always younger and faster. That's another constant college football fan trope. And the other one is we didn't show anything week one, and that's usually that's especially trotted out if your team played some scrub in week one and didn't come close to covering the number. I mean, that, that's not to say everybody just empties the, the, the playbook. You know, like if you're LSU in Texas this weekend, you're probably not emptying the playbook because you're playing one another um, the next week. But it's not like, you know, LSU doesn't know what Tom Herman's offense is. And it's not like Tom Herman doesn't know what Dave Aranda's you know, defense is. It's, it's not like Iowa's known for innovation offensively. It's, it's, not, it's not like you kind of don't know what's coming. Situationally, some things might be different. You know, you might have some players that you've not seen in certain situations. So, I mean, if there's a certain sub package where, you know, one of those young receivers uh, runs a particular route good against a particular coverage, then you might not deploy that against Miami of Ohio and save that for Iowa State in a couple of weeks. But, the idea, and fans across the country do this, that, you know, we only play half the playbook. Well, then fire all your damn coaches. They suck, okay? I mean, that's just, that, that's just an idle fan trope. But I, I think this is going to be different than 
this scenario for Iowa football in the past. And it's because you don't have the Iowa State game next week. That's number one. It's in two weeks. And then number two, you, you throw in the night game scenario. That atmosphere at Kinnick will be absolutely electric. I mean, you're talking about a team that's coming off of what this is the first time they won a bowl in what, four or five years, something like that. So you're coming off a bowl win. You have a night back game. Back to back bowl wins. Back to back bowl wins. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. So you're coming in, though, with a night game at Kinnick. Atmosphere will be absolutely electric. Uh, I don't think there's any chance. In fact, I had a, a, a sports handicapping pro ask me about this game about a month ago who was looking at playing this game and was actually looking at playing Miami of Ohio with the points just because of Iowa's history in these spots, as you, as you noted uh, you know, in your intro question. And I dissuaded him off of that. I'm not saying that at 21 and a half, you couldn't get some kind of backdoor cover at the end. But I, I wouldn't want to have to be relying on 10.30 in the evening at, a, you know, at Kinnick Stadium at night. My, I wouldn't have to be, w- with my money, relying on Miami of Ohio scoring in the last five minutes to get me a cover. I, I, I wouldn't want that. I, if, if, the way you'd play Miami of Ohio because you think Iowa is just going to be sluggish all game. And I don't think you're going to see that. I, I think you're going to see a highly energized uh, crowd I think you're going to see, therefore, a highly energized team. There's no game next week that there's any incentive whatsoever uh, to to look ahead to. Um, I I think this is a really good situation in the opener for Iowa. I also think think it's a down year. My numbers have this a down year in the MAC overall. Um, And and I think Miami of Ohio is a second division team in a down year for the MAC. So I, I think it's a physical mismatch. I think it's a situational. It's an optimum situational setup uh, for Iowa at the same time. So I, I think the forecast for Saturday night is pain. You now have noted bookies calling you for advice. You are you are sharper than I thought you were. Well, John, I, I don't want to brag, but I, I was in this recent season of Last Chance You for two and a half seconds. <laughs> you get an acting credit in IMDb for that? I, you know what? I didn't look that up because I do have an IMDb page because I was in a documentary uh, several years ago about the uh, political divide in America. And so for that, I, I was on, I, I was given an IMDb page. I don't really know why. Um, so I didn't look up to see if my if if I got a credit for Last Chance You. I should look that up. I never did. In Boy. fact, I found out about that because a bunch of listeners to this podcast started blowing up my Twitter, telling me, "Hey," because I hadn't watched the newest season yet, and they started blowing up my Twitter, telling me, "Hey, you're in this." And then I found out it was the last episode. And I'm like, "Well, I don't want to spoil it, you know." So I had to watch the season myself until I got to the very end. And yet, there's a clip of the the. Sh- show that Kurt Schilling and I used to do with the blaze ironically ended up getting it's the only show the blaze has ever canceled for lack of viewership <laughs> but we got on we got on last chance you Netflix uh so there you go and it's a clip of me calling the former now coach at Independence Community College a total clown and if you watched him the last two seasons on that program then uh, you realize that that was actually being kind you know I've um I've never watched one second of Last Chance You, and you know what else I've never watched one second of? Hard Knocks. 
Never seen you. I, I, I've, I've loved Hard Knocks the first two years, and then it kind of got formulaic. Now, this year, I've watched the first episode because I anticipated Gruden was going to give us some fireworks. I, I, but it was actually warmer and nicer than I anticipated. So, so you I lost interest. I, yeah, so I've got to watch the next two episodes. I'll tell you this about Last Chance. You, the first three seasons were spectacular. This last season was really tough to watch. It's, and the reason it was tough to watch is you're, you're, you watch the deconstruction of a grown man in a program, and then the young, the young men who already are in dire need of discipline and guidance, that's why they're on their last chance. And so they're caught in the, in the crossfire hurricane of, uh, of, a, of an adult male uh, who's really a boy who can shave, not really much of a man, and Jason Brown. And as he deconstructs, the whole program goes down with him. And a lot of these young men lose out on opportunities that they that got a lot of guys in other seasons were able to earn and get. It's a tough watch. This, yeah, this I, 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 tough watch. I, I would not want to see that. I would not want to see that at all. That would make that would bum me out for the reasons that you say. Um, let's dive in then. Um, is, is this fair to say that this is the the last Power Five breakdown relative to Steve Steve Dace's strength of roster rating for 2019? Are there any more updates to this? No, I mean this would be the last one. Now I'll I'll keep them updated throughout the course of the season, just so I know game to game where teams are at. Yeah, and then for I'm your do- own uh, for your own purposes, right? Yeah. Yes, and then I also doing it this way now next off season I won't have to spend three weeks going through everybody's rosters from scratch because I'll have been doing this the entire time you know so it'll it'll be easier for me to update but for the purposes of looking at this season and and with fall camps around the country over I've updated everything all the transfer portal information everything these are the the final total team talent ratings for the for the Big Ten and around the country and then then how that leads into my spreadsheets where I compare all the teams in every Power Five conference against each other. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's begin with the Big Ten. Uh, starting at the bottom, Rutgers is last with a bullet with 14 total points, uh, the worst ranking in depth, coaching, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and offensive line. For those of you following at home, that's every offensive category. Dace ranks last out of 14 teams. And it doesn't get any better at defensive line, also ranked last. And um, then second to last at linebacker, defensive back, special teams. And what's CRS again? Conference road schedule, meaning the games you have to go on the road in the conference and play commiserate to your talent level. The toughest, and that gives them 14 points. Illinois is next at 33, so over double the points. Uh, Illinois, you're saying, is second worst at depth, third worst at coaching, second worst at quarterback, um, worst can at – can I, can I add an item point to this? Yes. If you want to – if our audience – how did Rutgers lose by like 40 to Kansas last year? How did so when, when you talk about depth, those are my total team talent ratings. And, and this is what I use during the offseason as I try to measure how good is the talent we haven't seen yet, all right? And so I love what Bill Connolly, who's now with ESPN, obviously, he made a name for himself. They bought him away from SB Nation. 
And so I love the metric that Bill Connolly's come up with. We've talked about that before. You know, we can't just sit and look at returning starters anymore with all these early entries, freshmen, early enrollees, early entries to the NFL draft, sub packages. And so Bill Connolly does a fantastic job with returning production. So if you've got a guy like it, like in previous years, you and I go to the, go to the store. Let me localize this for Hawkeye fans. In previous years, you and I'd go to the store, buy a Hawkeye Nation or buy a Lindy's magazine, and the guy who led the Big Ten in sacks last year, Iowa would get no credit for having him as a returning starter on defense because that's the way it worked in the past, right? Talking about A.J. Epinesa. Right. And so I love what Bill Connolly does where he looks at returning production. But, but we also, though, every year we run into players that we don't know yet are going to be stars. How good are they? What's, this, what's, the, what's the personnel ceiling for a team? And so to do that, I came up with these total team talent ratings three years ago. And for people that are new to this, the way it works is teams are awarded points per player based on the, their 24-7 composite recruiting ranking. That's of all the services coming out of school. Uh, and it's only for the last four classes. I don't include fifth-year seniors because most programs don't play them anymore. So if you have a fifth-year senior that, that figures prominently and you're too deep, I count him. But if he's just on the roster, I don't. All right? And so it's five points for a five-star, four points for a four-star, et cetera. I've got all the latest information from the transfer portal in there, including where those recruits were rated when they left, when they came out of school, when they left, and when they, when they come into school, when, when they enter. And then when you've got developmental programs, like we have so many of them in the Big Ten, like Iowa, that are proven to be successful at a high level, that typically will overperform their recruiting rankings. How do we account for that? Well, what I'll do is if you have a player like if TJ Hawkinson had been back this year, you know, I'd, I'd have rated him a five-star player. He's the returning Mackey Award winner. And so I would, I would, I'll, I'll bump each player up based on if, how, how much they've overperformed their recruiting ranking. And that's how I, that's how we account for Wisconsin when they're really good, Michigan State when they're really good, Iowa, et cetera, how they're able to compete with teams on a national level that, that, may, that may out-recruit them in the recruiting rankings. And so those are the depth numbers. If you look at the depth between Illinois and Rutgers, I've got Rutgers with 250 points and Illinois with 252. So to put that in perspective, Arizona State is my lowest-rated Power 5 team in terms of total depth at 224 points. Illinois and Rutgers are each about 30, have 30 more points of depth on hand than, than Arizona State does. So already you can see how much better of a coach team Arizona State is to these two programs. And then to, to, to localize it even more in the Big Ten, you can see how much better Illinois, how much better it's coached than Rutgers is. In Illinois, over-under is four and a half. Rutgers over-under is two and a half. Rutgers comes into the year with the longest losing streak in college football. They, they beat Texas Tech in the opening game last year and then didn't win another game after that. So, and, and just to give you some other numbers, I mean, Illinois and Rutgers' total depth is, uh, it, it, if you look at uh, in the ACC, it's commiserate with where, like, Syracuse is in terms wow. of their total depth. And Syracuse won 10 games last year. So these two programs are way underperforming. Rutgers, though, we're talking, and man, I really don't want to blast my boy, Chris Ash. I know I say that every time because he was so good to me, and I loved him when he was at Iowa State. But this is uh, – Rutgers is already bad, but they're getting historically bad development and coaching 
while being bad at the same time. And that's when you start getting into Francis P. Denny Green, Northwestern type of territory from the 80s. So Maryland, Indiana, Illinois, and Rutgers are the four lowest, and they're the only um, programs in the Big Ten below 80. Maryland's at 56, Indiana's at 53, Illinois 33, Rutgers at 14. Um, you have Purdue with the top five coaching ranking, uh, top four wide receiver tight end ranking, um, top four special teams. You've got Maryland with the top three running back ranking and a top five defensive back ranking. So now we're at Purdue, which is basically ranked 10th uh, in the Big Ten overall. And we got them at 81. Well, I'll give you three schools here. Purdue at 81, Nebraska at 85, and a Wisconsin at 87. And Nebraska, with the 14th ranked schedule, uh, talent relative to schedule, is that it again, CRS? Yes. Yeah, they've got the most favorable conference road schedule. That's right. Conference any road team schedule. In the Big Ten. Yeah. So that's, that's what so, jumped out at me there. Uh, all these factors are graded one to 14 because there's 14 teams in the big 10. So you're, I'm comparing you against the rest of the teams in your league because that's about 70% of every team's schedule of the team they play against the teams they play in their own conference. Gotcha. Going. So it was Purdue at 81, Nebraska at 85, Wisconsin at 87, then Minnesota at 88, Iowa at 89 and Northwestern at 90. So you basically have one, two, three, Six teams from the Big Ten West between 90 and 81. And the one thing that jumps out at me from these teams, some are better on offense than others, some are better on defense than others. But obviously it's fairly balanced when you look at the total. The one big equalizer that jumps out to me is Iowa's conference road schedule ranking is fourth, the fourth toughest relative to the, 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 the talent and other teams in the league. Il, Rutgers and Illinois is one and two. Indi- Indiana's five. Maryland's three. Those four schools don't get to play themselves. Typically, right. you're, typically, your teams that are at the lower level of this are teams that are the worst in the league. So Iowa's sitting there at four, and that just shows you how challenging their conference road schedule is at Nebraska, at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, and then there's one more that's escaping me right now. So that's – oh, Michigan. At yeah. Michigan. Yeah, wow. you nailed it. You nailed it. I mean, if you're – Iowa I have, and it's very close. I, I, you know, if you look at the, total t- the final total team talent ratings at the top I have for the Big Ten, Ohio State is, is first at 326 points. That's third best in the country. Michigan is next at 310 points. That's sixth – that's tied with Oregon for the sixth most talented roster in the country. And then there's a drop-off. Michigan State, Penn State, and Iowa are three, four, and five, but they're two points separate. Michigan State's at 283, Penn State 282, Iowa at 281. So they're all basically the same roster. So just to put a finer point on you, you, you analyzed it perfectly. Just to put a finer point on it, it's really hard to be overwhelmed by your road schedule when you're the fifth most talented team in a 14. Right? Mm-hmm. So when you're the fifth most talented team, which is where I have Iowa right now, but they're, they're one player attrition away in state or Michigan state from being the third most talented team in the league. I mean, the, those three teams have kind of traded spots all off season to be the third most talented team in the league. 
that just goes to show you how difficult this conference road slate is. And then you throw in the road game at Iowa State in the non-conference. When you're the fifth most talented team in the league and you're getting that level of downgrade for the, the, the type of schedule you're playing, and it's not just the schedule you're playing, but it's what everybody else is also not playing at the exact same time. And I think that is why I have said over and over again this offseason, I, I think this is the toughest, especially when you throw in the Iowa State road game. I think this is the toughest road schedule I have seen a Big Ten team play since, since I've been a college football fan. You know, that's, that's 36, 37 years. I, I, maybe if I went back through it, I'd find something tougher, but it wouldn't be like in recent memory. You know, I, I, this, is, this is really difficult. And, and, I, and, and if you took the conference road schedule away, if I just did this as a pure power rating, like, I'm not really looking at a pure power rating here. I'm looking like I would be for the making of a point spread, right? Because so, so if I was just – if I took the conference road schedule component out of it, because what I'm trying to figure out is who's going to win the conference. Not, I, I'll do different ratings to help me figure out week to week who I think is going to win a game, right? But if I, if I took that conference road schedule factor out and I just did this as a pure power rating, what I'm saying here is Iowa is a, is a favorite on a neutral field against every other team in the Big Ten West. Favorite against every other team. When I factor, though, in the conference road schedule, um, that, and, and we start thinking of who's going to actually win this thing, that's when they, they emerge to the back of the pack. And if you look at um, Northwestern gets a huge boost for who they don't have to play. Minnesota gets a huge boost for who they don't have to play. And then the only team, you know, and I've mentioned this all offseason, every team that's won the Big Ten West since we split into East and West with one exception, did so by escaping having to play two of the three in the East, Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State. The one exception was, 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 was uh, Wisconsin won the West in 2016, and they played all three, but they didn't play Penn State until the conference championship game. So even that one gets a bit of a, an asterisk, right, because they didn't play them during the season. But they played Michigan and Ohio State during the season, and they lost close games to both of them. Minnesota doesn't play Michigan or Ohio State, and they get Penn State at home. So that schedule, I think, I think, that, I think actually that stat is going to matter more going into the future because these teams are all getting better. Right? I mean, Northwestern's got an established program now. Iowa's had an established program. Purdue and Minnesota are recruiting at better levels than they have in many, many years, maybe since we started following recruiting services, frankly. Uh, Wisconsin is still a very proud program, and, and everybody can see Nebraska coming. It was, you know, we'll get to this in the Bigger Ten podcast this week, going through the Big Ten camp tours. And, and, and Big Ten media days, Jerry DiNardo was adamant. Nebraska's not winning the West. They're way overrated. They're at least a year away. They went out to the camp tour, and the guys was just not shaking his head on a swivel like, I can't believe how much different this team is. I, I, I totally misread this situation. So – if these teams are all getting better or they were good and kind of staying about what they were, maybe Wisconsin's taken a bit of a step back. I don't know that Wisconsin's that much worse than they have been the last few years. I just think this division is a lot better. So I, I think that crossover schedule until they rearrange the, the divisions, and I think that will happen in the next couple of years, but until that occurs, those, that, those crossover games are going to matter more now because the margin for error within the division itself is going to be slimmer than it ever was before. 
over into the east, which is where we finish this, because the top four teams you have um, in these rankings are in the east. Michigan's at number one at 134, Ohio State at 126, Michigan State at 114, and Penn State at 105. Penn State's defensive rankings are uh, their front seven are really good. But then again, you've got Michigan State at number one at 14. Defensive line, 14 linebacker and Penn State are 13 in each of those. That is, is it the toughest division in football, do you think, relative to the raw talent numbers? And you probably have those. No, the, the SEC West is. I mean, in the SEC West, Alabama has, the, has regained the title of the most talented roster. They were basically tied with Georgia and Ohio State last year. They've regained that title this year. Uh, you have uh, Texas A&M as the 11th most talented roster. Auburn, the 10th most talented roster. LSU, I think, is the 5th or 7th. Let me look that up really quick. LSU is the 7th most talented roster. That division is the toughest. In the big, but the Big Ten East, though, it would be the big would be second, and then there's there's no division in it in the rest of college football close to those two. The whole difference, just like in conference road schedule, is the whole difference between Iowa and the rest of the teams in the West. If you look at my breakdown, and I think it's important for me to note for our listeners, we look, I look at these criteria one at a time. And then when I look at the total number, then gives me the, then will give me the narrative. Meaning I don't I don't cast a narrative and then wait for the 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 um, the individual numbers to help me meet my narrative. And so just as the conference road schedule component ended up essentially being what separated Iowa from being separated from everybody else, the entire margin between Michigan and Ohio State is in one is in one factor: coaching. We don't know what Ryan Day is. You know, so right now with with no coaching experience at all, um, he's rated the fifth lowest coach at Ohio State. Harbaugh in my coaching rankings was the second number two coach in the Big Ten behind Mark D'Antonio. Well, what's the difference between 13 and five, John? Eight points. What's the margin, the final margin between Michigan and Ohio State in the spreadsheet? Eight points. So, you know, um, Bump Ryan Day up a couple of points, uh, lower Jim Harbaugh a couple of points, and and this conference is essentially a toss up. And you're you're seeing that in the preseason polls. One of them's fifth, the other sixth. One of them's sixth, the other one's seventh. So a lot of this interpretation is riding on what is Ryan Day right. as a head coach, and that's why you got. That's why I don't just give you the end game numbers, so you can look at the spreadsheet too, so that you can see what's what one factor. Is, 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 the, is there one factor that's being heavily weighted here? Like if we were to look at the ACC, you don't need to look at one factor. Clemson's just that much better at everything else than everybody else in the league. But, but in these cases, there's one factor in both the East and the West that is the overriding determiner of the order. In the East, it's, it's, the, it's the variable of Ryan Day as a head coach. And in the West, it's the variable of Iowa playing a historically difficult road schedule. Your total talent, roster talent numbers, uh, number one is Ohio State, 326. Michigan's 310. Then a big drop-off, Michigan State, 283. Penn State, 282. And Iowa, 281. And as you mentioned before, I mean, Iowa's just a, you know, 
I was an Amani Hooker sticking around from being number three or, or any of the guys that left. And Purdue at 270, Wisconsin 267. Well, who's the – Jalen McDaniel, is that who I'm thinking of, the linebacker that just transferred? Jaden, yeah. Jaden McDaniel, they're, one, they're his transfer away from being number three because he was a three-star prospect. I put right. him at 284 points. He'd be number three if he stayed in school. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Overall, um, the final numbers relative to top 20 – talent rankings raw numbers you've got bama at number one at 356 georgia 342 ohio state 326 oklahoma 321 and texas 313 surprised to see texas there um maybe i should remember charlie strong was stacking top 10 classes tom herman's had two top five classes the last two years so they're going to be there for a while now. He's got, they've got it rolling now. It did, wasn't Mac Brown stacking top 10 classes too? Yeah, he was. And that's where this is, this is, this is why it's not a power rating. You know, it is how good could the talent be? Right. You know, and so let me, let me put it this, let me, let me put it to you this way. If Nick Saban coached Mac Brown's last three recruiting classes, you think they'd have done better than eight and four, nine and three? Yes. Yes. And I think I could reverse this as a Michigan fan. You know, Jim Harbaugh has won about 75% of his games at Michigan in four years. You know, we could go up and down this league. There's probably seven or eight coaches in this league with Michigan's recruiting classes that could win 74% of their games, don't you? Could Kirk Ferentz do that? I would think so. Pat Fitzgerald do that? Yes. Jeff Brom? Yes. Mark D'Antonio? Yes. There's four. Uh, How about – P.J. Flexa, maybe. We don't really know. Maybe find out this year. Scott Frost? Uh, probably so. All right, there's six. See my point? You know? Mm-hmm. So that's why, you, that's why I do the spreadsheets, too, because how do you translate this? I mean, everybody – the number one team that, critis, that I get criticized about in these talent ratings is Clemson. Well, as I pointed out all offseason, Clemson's lost almost 40 points in early attrition. I mean, in many respects, Clemson's roster is what kind of happens to a team after they win a Super Bowl or two, and then everybody just raids it in the free agency, and it's hard to keep it going. And that's kind of what happened to Clemson this year. But it's actually only been since – they've not been – this has not been a consistent top five recruiting team. It's not been. In fact, their average recruiting ranking was like eight and a half on last year's national champion. In fact, in fact, going into last year, Michigan had more four- and five-star players on their roster than Clemson did. It's only been this, the Trevor Lawrence class, and then this class they have coming in could be historically great. They've got commitments from number one overall players at like five positions. But people are underestimating how great of a job of player development Dabo Sweeney has done. I, I would tell our audience, go look at the class Deshaun Watson signed in. See how many three-star players were in that class. And, they were, and they're names you know, by the way. And, and that class went to a national championship game and then won a national championship. So Clemson has not come anywhere close to being recruiting where Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama have been. They've been now they're, they're there now, but they were not doing that the last three, four, or five years. Well, they're at 286, and that's 12th, the 12th highest total. I'll get there in a second. Michigan and Oregon are tied for six at 310. Um, LSU, 
we have them at seven, so that probably means eighth at 309, Notre Dame ninth at 298, Auburn tenth at 296, and followed by Texas A&M 294, Florida State 289, Clemson 286, uh, TCU and USC at 285, then Michigan State 283, Penn State 282, and Iowa and Florida tied for I guess that would probably be 18th 17. or 19th um, 19, yeah. at 281. So, yeah, I mean, there's, what, five roster points difference between, you know, power as far as talent, aggregate talent between Clemson and Iowa. I mean, that might be hard for some people to believe. Yeah. Well, it goes down to but, – but, 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 again, that's your total team talent. It doesn't measure how elite that talent is necessarily. It doesn't, for example, there's a, when you have Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, um, that's a rising tide that lifts all boats, for example. All right. right. So, um, you know, I believe Alabama was like a seven or eight point favorite going into the national championship game last year and, and, and lost that game in resounding fashion. So I think Dabo Sweeney, there, you know, he's got to, he kind of has um, the, the PJ Fleck persona but with uh, a Southern charm and lost in the shuffle of that is how damn good of a football coach this guy is. They have taken a lot of players that were just considered good prospects and turned those guys into an elite college football program. And, and by the way, one of the ways that he did it is back to back. Now he's had arguably with, 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 and the year in between, it wasn't like Kelly Bryant was a scrub, but you know, it's a little bit like the Colts following Peyton Manning and then and having a bad year, and then in comes Andrew Luck. So Deshaun Watson, his quarterback in school history, uh, comes in. They have one year with Kelly Bryant. He wasn't chopped liver. They still went to the playoff. And then they're, he, he's followed up with a guy that people think is the next Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence. So when you have those, that kind of dynamism at quarterback, um, what that does for the rest of your roster. And that's something that a Michigan State's never had. That's something a Wisconsin's never had. That's something that um, an Iowa's never had. And the reason why I use those comparisons in the Big Ten is because they are also very successful developmental programs. But the, the, the reason for Wisconsin, the reason they've never been able to go from Big Ten contender to national contender and the reason why those other programs have not been able to make that same step is the dynamism at quarterback, the, the generational talent at quarterback. Dabo hit on that with Deshaun Watson and then got Trevor Lawrence. And by getting two of those guys in a span of three years as, to, to be the face of his program, the, the, the way they were able to win nationally, now they are recruiting at the level that will keep them there for, for the, for the time being. You know, Wisconsin had Russell Wilson for one year. One year, yeah. And I, they scored points at a historic level. And they, what, lost one game that year? I mean, that was – that might have been the best Mary one they had. Pass, right? Against yeah. Michigan State on a Hail Mary pass. Yeah. Yep. That's, that, that's, that's a great example of what we're talking about. The, the dynamic – if you can find the dyna, – dynam, if you can be dynamic at quarterback. And, well, and everybody points to, well, Steve Clemson had that historically great defensive line. And they did because they got all those guys to come back to school, which almost never happens. But those guys weren't there or they were really young players that hadn't established themselves yet when, when they won the championship with Deshaun Watson. Remember those back-to-back -back national championship games against Alabama with Deshaun Watson 
they had to outscore Alabama in both of those games. Right. And those two games, Deshaun Watson threw for over 800 yards and eight touchdowns and one interception. Everybody that started on defense for Alabama in those two national championship games, John, is on an NFL roster right now. That's incredible. Right? And he put up 800 yards, eight touchdowns, and one pick against those guys. And they needed every one of those touchdowns and yards because they couldn't stop Alabama. Go back to the game, they beat them. Everybody forgets Jalen Hurts led Alabama down the field for the game go-ahead touchdown with less than a minute to go. Everybody thought the game was over. Alabama, Jalen Hurts pulls it out. And Deshaun Watson brings them right down the field, and they score with three seconds left on that pick play to Hunter Renfro. So the the dynamic player at quarterback, if you're Oklahoma, you can be putrid on defense. Not terrible, not bad, putrid. You know, prehistorically bad, all right? You're, You're awful. You, you, can't, you don't hit any angles. Your film is wretched to watch, and you're in the college football playoff two years in a row, and you're the first school since what, Army, with Mr. Inside and Mr. Outside, that back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners? All right, so that's what dynamic – it's what you and I have talked about, John, since you've heard me say it our whole, the whole time you and I have been friends. You can't hide your quarterback in college football. But if, you, if, but if that guy is great, if he's the, clearly the best player, the best athlete on the field, then the other team can't hide either. And that's what your rules now and tackling. And um, you saw all the pass interference calls last night. Some of the, several of those were just terrible calls. All right, but if they're, they're going to start calling pass interference now like they do in the NFL, I don't know why you wouldn't throw the ball 75, 80% of the time. And I'm dead serious. I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't just throw a little – your running game is we're just going to throw these little bubble screen flare passes out to our slot guys in space or give the ball to our running backs out there. I don't know why you'd ever line up in 12 personnel and, and stack a box and try to run downhill. If the rules in college football, if they're going to start enforcing the passing game like what they do in the NFL. And what you've seen in the NFL is it's, it, is, it has made the running back situation uh, or position. You know, you and I grew up in an era in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, and if you had that guy, if you had Emmett Smith, if you had Barry Sanders, if you had Thurman Thomas, uh, if, if you had the, the guy at tailback, everything else fed off of that. The running back position now is a dime a dozen. Now you get, you know, undrafted free agents like Philip Lindsay lead the NFL in rushing. You know, I mean, the, the, the Rams don't have Todd Gurley because he's hurt. And C.J. Anderson, who they picked up off the street as a free agent, is, the, is their running back as they go to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's a totally different game now because the rules all favor the passing game because that's what – Fans want to see in the NFL, and it helps for fantasy football. Well, if we're going to start going in that direction in college football, then I, I don't know. You know, I, there may not be a more stubborn adherent to twelve personnel offense than Kirk Ferentz than my coach. It would be a, it would be a contest in terms of stubborn devotion to this style of offense. And I think after what Ohio State did to us last year, Jimmy just re- threw up his hands and said, "You know what, man? I give it. I give up." I got to give up the ghost. I'm sitting here playing a game that doesn't exist anymore, you know? And, and by the way, look at Iowa's bowl game at the end of the year. How did they win that game? They couldn't run the ball a lick. TJ Hawkinson couldn't hold the edge against Montez Sweat in that entire game. He was getting blown up. What did they finally do? They're just going to chuck and duck every play. Ended up winning the game. So, you know, I mean, I think that's, that is where the game is headed, you know, and, um, 
you're not going to run to win anymore. You're not going to dominate in your running game anymore unless you've got, you've, you've got a Herschel Walker level of tailback. Um, now, I, what's ironic is I think Alabama is going to revert back to more of its old offense this year. And I, I, I'll be fascinated to see how that works. You know, they, I think bringing in Steve Sarkeesian, he's a pro-style guy. And he was at Alabama before. And Mike Loxley and Josh Gaddis and all those guys are gone. That, that was the crew that set all that, those records for Bama last year. I think you're going to see them run more of the kind of offense that they ran when, you know, Derrick Henry was winning the Heisman and Mark Ingram was there. Um, that's why I think you're going to see Najee Harris, who's the highest rated running back in the 24-7 composite since Adrian Peterson. I think you're going to see him put up monster numbers at Alabama this year. But I promise you, when they get to the playoffs or when they get to Atlanta in the SEC championship game, they're not going to sit there and run Najee Harris downfield 27 times because that's not going to work. That's when you're going to – they'll go back to Tua Tagovailoa chucking and ducking to Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and all those receivers. That's, that is where the game is at now. And we'll see how Iowa adapts, and we, we don't have to worry about uh, guessing about it here as the season is on us. See, one little program, you know, what I want to announce right now, and we'll, we'll definitely announce it throughout the course of the year. We're definitely going to have our head-to-head uh, pick em segment again this season, but there's going to be uh, a little bit of a twist. There is. I'm giving out my point spread picks now with, with sports betting getting legalized around the country, including here in Iowa. Um, I'm giving these out now to my Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. So for example, uh, about a week and a half ago, I put out uh, some picks that I had already put in for several of the early lines that came out uh, before game week. Most of the game week lines when they come out tonight and Monday will probably be very similar to these opening week lines with some adjustments. But I put out about uh, 11 of these uh, opening zero week one and uh, week zero lines that I liked. And one of them, the only week zero line that I liked, I liked Hawaii plus 11. Uh, and I got a nice note from one of my Patreon supporters said, thank you. I ended up winning 300 bucks in that game. Nice. So I'm not, I, I'm not giving out with maybe very limited exception if I feel like I need to do a little enticement. I'm not giving out any point spread picks. I'm, Buckwheat ain't working Penub now that this stuff is legal around the country. It, now it's not, it's, it's not for fun and entertainment purposes only. It's for fun and entertainment purposes with a, in addition to. All right? So if folks want to get those point spread picks, then Michigan Podcast slash Patreon is where you can get them. It's five bucks a month. If my picks aren't worth five bucks a month, then I don't know why you're ever listening to our picks podcast in the, in the first place. Well, I mean, if you have a disappointing week or something like that, you can always, you know, make next week free. But you know, to be up, be your call. I could. I probably won't do that, but um, because I think five bucks, I think you're getting a pretty good deal, and we'll have bad weeks because that's going to happen, you know. But um, uh, you know, the two best teams in Major League Baseball, their winning percentages are six forty-seven, which means they're still losing 35% of the time. <laughs> All right. So, um, but uh, overall, I think, I, I mean, I put a lot of work into this. I've actually got the app on my phone. I've put down uh, already on several uh, uh, plays that I like, including a couple of uh, long shots that I like for this fall. And I'll even give the audience a hint. I've, I've, I've hinted at one pretty bluntly and directly during the course of this podcast. Um, so 
uh, you can get all that stuff now at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And we'll let people know from week. Well, okay. I shouldn't say, I haven't even talked to you about this. Maybe let people know from week to week how you're doing. Oh yes. Yeah, so you know, I'll do that. Sure. Yeah. Either good or bad. Yeah. Yep. I mean, cause all the, plus all the pics are up there and they're all timestamps. So you're all going to know what, you know, I, I, this isn't where I could take, I, I bought 30 minutes of time on USA television network at 7am on a Saturday and told you to call my 1-800 number and you called it once and I gave you one side and you called it. I mean, this is, you can't do that stuff anymore, you know? So you would have, you would have seen a week and a half ago that I had Hawaii plus 11 over Arizona because all that stuff is timestamped up on our Patreon page. So. 10-4. Yeah. I was not suggesting you were going to, you know, do anything dubious. Um, but of course, if things are going well, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear all about it. That'll wrap up this installment of the HN podcast. We'll be back later this week for the, um, for the confidence poll. And then, uh, probably an instant. Well, yeah, an instant reaction podcast on Saturday night. Let the games begin.